Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 67. John and Wendy talk to Andrew Morton. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How's it going tonight, John? Once again, battling some tech issues, but that happens. <laughs> it's okay. Yep. We will we will certainly overcome them. Yes. You know, Wendy, this is a, a really different, you know, I hate always using the term special, but it is a special episode. Yep. First time we've had a returning guest that both of us have talked to. We want to get right into the conversation. However, very quickly, this show comes out on May 23rd, which is right before our next monthly chat, which yep. is Sunday the 26th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We're talking about holidays. We're going to talk about how we celebrate, not only as individuals, but also our companies, you know, as from a benefits perspective, payroll perspective. I know a lot of people rather have stuff going on that day. I'm going to be watching the Indy 500, but that's well over before this. And mm-hmm. hey, maybe that'll be part of the conversation. You never know. For those of you that, that listen to this show before the 26th, hope you'll join us. Yep. And we'll kick that four-day weekend off even better, right? <laughs> we'll get it started. Well, this uh, we're calling this, uh, I guess, a command performance because this is a, a take two, a different type of episode for us because Andrew's been with us before. His show was very, very popular last year. He asked, was that maybe part of the reason he came back? He did want to talk about something really important, not only to him, but to me, and I think to you as well, Wendy. So yes. I'll let you make what we're going to call the introduction. <laughs> Yeah, rather than uh, introducing Andrew, who we have done before, we're going to introduce the conversation. And like you said, this is a special episode of the HR Social Hour, and one that we hope will encourage more open dialogue around issues surrounding mental health and illness. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Even though we haven't heard a lot about it over the years, uh, we've been hearing more and more. But Mental Health Awareness Month has been around since 1949. And even so, there are still a lot of stigmas around mental illness. And one of the things that uh, we're hoping to talk about with Andrew tonight is how we in HR can help normalize the conversation around mental health. And Andrew kicked off the conversation um, earlier this month with a special blog post on his own story. So we want to start the conversation tonight, Andrew, with you sharing why you decided to share your story. Well, first of all, thank you, John and Wendy, for having me again. As we've talked about before, it's just really an amazing opportunity uh, to be a part of this HR tribe that you all have created through not only your podcast, but through all the other things you do. And yeah, this is an incredibly important and personal topic to me. Many of your listeners may remember that, you know, I had served in the military for a couple decades as a failed theater major. I really didn't have many other alternatives in life. You know, that journey that the military took me on had many incredible opportunities and benefits to it, but it also connected me with a number of fellow service members and families who have, throughout the course of their lives, struggled through uh, mental health issues, uh, whether it's depression or anxiety or what have you. And one of the things I've learned, particularly over the last year of my journey through the struggle of mental health, is that the most important and most powerful thing that we can do is to connect and communicate and to not hide from what is not unlike every other physical ailment in life, something that affects us in ways in which we maybe can't control. And I think one of the most important things we can do, whether it's in the workforce environment, whether it's in our environments at home, or everywhere in between, is that we can communicate with each other and talk about the importance of reminding people that they're not alone. 
Andrew, I have to say, when I when I read your blog, I think the day it came out, I think you'd put it out and said, hey, this is something I've done and it's very personal. To tell you, it really resonated with me. It is no secret, you know, around our parts that, you know, my son, Jacob, my older boy has has struggled with some mental health issues over the last year in particular. And personally, again, it just really resonated and struck a chord with me. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, you talked in that blog about wanting to bring the conversation out of the shadows. You know, what are some of the things that maybe that you have done personally, or would you recommend that HR practitioners can do to encourage those conversations to help normalize it? Yeah, I think that that's an incredibly important part of it, John, is really normalizing it and reminding ourselves that whether somebody goes through lower back surgery and follow on physical therapy, whether somebody, God forbid, has a bypass surgery for some sort of heart attack or something wrong with their heart, or whether somebody is suffering from chronic or situational depression, these things are all equally important to manage both while somebody is challenged and faced with them in the workplace, while they're in a period of recovery, and then when they're coming back to the workplace. Because one of the most important things to remember about mental health is that, particularly in the in the cohort of fellow veterans that I've served with, and for anyone of the one in four Americans who may be struggling with some mental health issue, purposeful work is, is one of the most important parts of helping people recover in terms of a holistic approach to things. What we have to do, I think, is we have to remind ourselves that while we're not trying to be obtrusive in people's lives, and these are very personal issues at times, if we can somehow remind ourselves that the old adage of it's in your head or it's all in your head is not a pejorative thing. It's actually a true statement because most of the things that we physically deal with or face or challenges are actually, they do begin in our heads. And what we have to acknowledge about mental health is we know a lot more now, but we're still learning to learn a lot more, whether it comes to the psychology of it or the physiology of it, the medical treatment of it. And we just have to acknowledge that these aren't things that are, quote unquote, in people's heads. These are things that are real. These are things that are as much about zip code as they are about genetic code. And these are things that affect people as much as any other physical ailment. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's nothing to feel shame about. These are things that we owe it to ourselves as HR practitioners, as businesses, as fellow human beings to help people find the right treatment and the right ways to get back to work because everybody's goal, whether it's having back surgery or whether it's dealing with chronic anxiety or depression, it's getting back to work and having a purpose-filled existence. We know that people are 42% more likely to not have long-term treatment issues with regard to mental or behavioral health if they have purpose-driven work. And we as HR practitioners and we as people who are leaders in the workplace can help people do that. I think that's so true. And it's, we can create those meaningful experiences in the workplace. It goes a long way. One of the areas that I, I think we do struggle with as well is not just helping the employee, but how do we help helping the managers get through this? Because they not only have, you know, they have a lot of different aspects of this, but how can we help our managers support their staff who might be dealing with some of these issues? 
in many cases, that's a, a particularly challenging area because we used to call it in the military, during my time in the military, we used to call it purposefully obtrusive, where we could call somebody into office, we could sit down with them, and we could try to peel back the onion and really talk to them about what, what's going on in their life. And, you know, a lot of times we often treat the symptoms and we don't necessarily treat the root causes of particular things. The symptom may be excessive recidivative absence or maybe some form of alcohol or substance abuse or maybe some other form of lack of engagement in the workplace. And rather than treat those particular things, which are symptoms, what we maybe should do is look at things from a more holistic approach. And again, you know, three major categories with regard to how we've improved ourselves along the way with regard to treating mental health issues is technology and psychology. But the third component of it is culture. And that cultural aspect of it is we almost have to sometimes grant people who are in people manager or what I call really truly leadership positions. Because if you're in charge of one person, you're a leader. It doesn't matter if you're in charge of a thousand or one people, probably a separate answerly discussion. And I'm not asking to be a third time guest, but leadership, if you're in charge of one person, you're a leader. And developing the effective culture in which, or being a part of that cultural development where you can sit down with somebody and acknowledge maybe during that initial phase that there may be an issue and looking for those symptoms and then helping people, obviously, with regard to benefits and an approach that may also include physical treatment, medication, and other things with regard to, again, a much more holistic approach. You have as a manager, you have to be informed as to what it is that the organization can help do in terms of support, but you also have to be the front lines. HR managers of people in the workplace, you're the front lines of things, and you have to acknowledge and recognize when people are going through these particular challenges. And there certainly are resources out there to help people begin to understand what are some of the telltale signs where somebody may be struggling with a mental health issue in the workplace. Andrew, we know sometimes that mental health issues might require accommodation. And, you know, that's obviously a can be a fairly engaged and exhaustive process to make sure that it's that we are taking care of folks as, as best we can. How can we in HR help those managers with those conversations and, and, and work through those accommodations? Yeah, you're, and you're absolutely right. And so it's not unless not unlike the, the whole talent management cycle itself. There's bringing somebody into the organization, there's engagement, there's retention, and there's long-term career planning for the individual. And, you know, the accommodations come as a part of that acknowledgement phase. And there may be an absence of some type in terms of granting the person an accommodation that gives them an opportunity for a, a holistic healing approach. Again, not unlike maybe surgery to repair some sort of spinal issue, or maybe if somebody had an issue with regard to high blood pressure, et cetera. So they may have a leave of absence, but then when they come back from that leave of absence, the accommodations, there are some really strong, effective, evidence-based research that shows that adaptability and flexibility can create an atmosphere where somebody who is struggling with mental health who comes back to the workplace can be as effective as they were before. Obviously, I'm not a physician. And whilst I've been on the periphery of HR for the last five years with 
unmeasured admiration. I'm also not a lifetime HR practitioner professional who understands all the intricacies of the EEOC regulations, what have you. But what I can tell you is this, if we focus on a person's strengths, if we focus on an individual's purpose and desire to continue to make a difference in the workplace, if we focus on identifying some of the challenges that they may have faced, some of the triggers that they may have faced relative to anxiety or depression, and help them overcome them through a holistic approach, whether it's giving them an adaptable and flexible schedule, again, all being mindful of the fact that we want them to feel like they're a productive member of the team. And we also have to take into account that there are other members of the team as well who, if not fully appreciative or understanding of those accommodations, it ultimately may create a rift within the team. Everybody understands that if somebody comes back with a particular physical ailment that's been above board the whole time, then the rest of the team understands full well what those accommodations are. So the HR practitioner and the the manager of the individual also have to walk that balance of making sure that everybody understands that we're all there to serve the team, but in some cases, accommodations may be a part of the future with regard to the work environment that that individual is back there to do. I think that it is a really good point. You kind of jumped into our next question there, which is great because it's, you know, one of the things that we, I think we forget about it as professionals is that we focus on the employee that might be dealing with these issues, but we forget that there's an entire team out there as well that, you know, we can't share what's going on. We can't talk about that. And, you know, we don't want to, but we have people who care about that employee or at least wonder what's going on and what's happening. So I think the more we normalize these conversations, the less likely that there's going to be that animosity around someone getting an accommodation, a different schedule, or, or even taking time off. And I think those are important conversations for us to have. Any additional advice for us as HR professionals or us as leaders on having those conversations? I'm going to assume, even though you're not a, you know, a quote, HR professional, Andrew, you're you're in the profession and you've been a leader and been involved in those situations. So what are some some advice that you might be able to help us help us out with those conversations? Yeah, I think it's it's not unlike a lot of the other accommodations perhaps that come into play with regard to a workforce where you're dealing with people from all walks of life. I think you really starts and starts and ends with a dialogue with the individual. And what I can tell you through my process over the course of these years that I've become more and more open and willing to share my particular journey. It's always predicated on the fact that I know that I can still make a difference, that I know that I can still be a part of something bigger than myself and still serve the organization in a manner of speaking. You know, we talk about the strength of each and every employee. Maybe the the manager and the HR practitioners can remind people of the strengths of the individual who may have those accommodations, whether it's accommodations such as flexible hours or being able to establish some sort of job description or duty description that really takes advantage of the individual's strengths. And I think that that's, frankly, I think that that's true for, for all employees, whether or not they may struggle and face one type of accommodation or another. I think it's really about giving people the opportunity to play to their strengths and 
if the individual who is facing these particular challenges and who's reported these particular accommodations is willing to be above board and share what it is that they have gone through, then I absolutely think that, again, in a way that they're comfortable with, it's absolutely appropriate. And as a matter of fact, it may help others because, again, we're really talking about 25% of our workforce here. And then if you add families on top of that, what I shared at the beginning of the month, you know, has really been a journey of not 15 years, not 10 years, not 20 years, but 51 years, John and Wendy. I didn't share it now because I felt like it was an opportune time. I shared it now because I felt like it was an absolute necessity for me personally and also because I know that I'm not alone out there. I really think one of the benefits of sharing the story is that I've had a number of people come up to me, a number of colleagues at work, family members, friends who've come up to me and said, you know, my son, my daughter, myself personally, I've struggled through things and I really didn't know how to describe it to other people. I really didn't know how to articulate it. And I didn't feel as if I had the license to articulate it. But I just want everybody to realize that we're all really just trying to be the best individuals that we can be. And we spend so much time at work. We spend so much time together as fellow employees that I think we owe it to ourselves to be as transparent as we can, again, without necessarily being gratuitous in that sharing, so to speak, but reminding people that we all struggle. And, you know, the thing about struggle is that you can struggle without growth, but you can't grow without struggle. We're all in this together, and I don't mean to be overly esoteric, and I wish I could give you more practical solutions just specifically from the HR practitioner's point of view. What I can tell you is that two things that really help people through the challenges that they face, whether they're a veteran who may suffer from PTSD, a coworker who has had lifelong depression or anxiety, someone who may struggle through some sort of other mental health challenge, is that this sense of belonging is imperative. And in order to have that, then we need to feel like we're making a difference. Andrew, like you said, you may not have a lot of practical examples for us. Again, I think being willing to put yourself out there. I read the article and then I think you contacted Wendy. She said, hey, Andrew wants to come on. I said, are you kidding? How could we not? I mean, I think we would like to be part of opening up that conversation and helping people to realize that people struggle with a lot of different things in a lot of different ways and that we have to open up the conversation. Having said that, do you have any recommendations as far as learning opportunities for practitioners or people just in general to learn more about how to get better at opening up the conversation. You know, if it's a book, a webinar, we've talked to military several times. I know that SHRM certification now for working with veterans, I believe there's a component about mental health and PTSD and what have you, but other other things that are maybe out there that you could recommend? Yeah, there absolutely are. I mean, if you want to talk about the veteran cohort itself, the SHRM Foundation has done an incredibly impactful job in partnering with a number of different organizations, whether it's the Institute for Veterans and Military Families out of Syracuse and and other uh, commercial partners in helping provide a fuller understanding of veteran employees, not just the hiring of them, 
but also the engagement and retention of those employees throughout the whole process. That particular effort, the Veterans at Work Certificate, I think is absolutely a wonderful tool. Now, while only a certain part of it may deal with some of the cultural and or potential mental uh, health aspects of hiring veterans, which, by the way, you're more than likely going to um, have somebody within your employment that is someone who may be struggling with post-traumatic stress who isn't a veteran statistically than somebody who would be. But at the same time, for that particular cohort, I think the Veterans at Work Certificate is, is particularly a powerful tool. In terms of reading, there's a number of different things that I've certainly leaned on and looked towards over the course of these last few years in terms of understanding and better understanding, whether it's the mental health aspect of it or just in general, the holistic approach to the workforce. I'm a big fan of Viktor Frankl, who has written a number of different books, one of which is Man's Search for Meaning. And I'm also a huge fan of Brene Brown, where she talks about the power of vulnerability. And those two books in particular highlight two things that I think are essential in this conversation between HR practitioners, leaders in business, and those who may face mental health challenges. And one is vulnerability, and the other one is meaning. And they go hand in hand, basically. Because what we've learned over the course of the last two or three decades with regard to mental health is that one of the telltale ways that you can determine if somebody's in recovery is if they feel purpose and meaning at work. And that's certainly true for the veteran cohort. Um, I think uh, Victor Frankel talks about uh, Picasso saying that Ultimately, finding your meaning in life is, is a gift and giving it away is your purpose every single day. Brene Brown talks about identifying basically who we are and acknowledging through vulnerability our strengths and our weaknesses. I absolutely think her book, Power of Vulnerability, is a strong book for anybody to read, whether there's someone who may be facing the challenge of mental health or somebody who may be a leader in the workplace who certainly will have an employee is. I also think that Sebastian Younger's book, Sebastian was a journalist who wrote a book based upon an article that he had previously written for Vanity Fair. And he was a journalist who was embedded in combat in Liberia, in Libya, in Afghanistan, and Iraq. And he wrote a book called Tribe, which talked about the tribe and the homecoming and the challenges that military veterans may have faced, not just those who may have faced traumatic events in theater or, or in their deployments, but, but those who were struggling with anxiety and depression, maybe even before a long time before they joined the military. And his book, Tribe, is a powerful and impactful short read that talks about the struggle of culturally adapting back to the workplace after maybe having served in uniform or having been a part of something a little bit different than uh, the civilian workplace that that many people serve in. And then the last thing I would say is another author of mine, Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell is a very powerful author, has written a number of different books. One of the quotes that he said was, we must let go of life we have planned so as to accept the one that is waiting for us. The challenge there is, is being able to acknowledge over the course of the time that we spend in the workplace or otherwise that we may not necessarily always have a perfect plan Things may happen, 
But if we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves, then we can afford ourselves an opportunity to kind of feel that sense of purpose at work. And that can help us along with a more holistic approach that can help us kind of determine how we're going to work through these mental health challenges. Those are awesome resources. I've read Brené Brown's and uh, Sebastian Younger's book. I devoured his book in a, you know, an afternoon. It's just a phenomenal read talking about how important community is. And I think that's where a lot of the great things that we've been able to do here come from is just being able to build that community. So I, I Andrew, I feel very, very honored that you came <laughs> to share your story with us. I, it's very meaningful for you to let us be a part of, of your story in this way. I do really appreciate that. And, you know, I, you know, as the Sherm's director of social engagement over the last five years, I've always felt more comfortable turning the lens on other people and making sure that in my job is my role to give you all the opportunity to share your stories, or at least be a storyteller for our members, for people in the workplace. But this hits home for me. This is this is a personal struggle that I've faced my whole life. And, and I'm absolutely blessed at this point in my life to really be in a place where I feel like it, it, it's time to, to share this story. You know, I read a recent World Health Organization report that basically said that for every dollar that is spent for better understanding and more effective practices that can help us have people overcome mental health challenges in the workplace, that it will impact health and productivity by $4. So that's not unlike a lot of other things in life. There's a business case here. Above and beyond the moral imperative, above and beyond all the other reasons why this is important, there's a business component to this. And, and, and I'm really fortunate to be at an organization like SHRM that is looking beyond just the role that HR plays in helping create a better workplace through understanding through a cultural appreciation of people who come from all walks in life who bring all kinds of things into our workplace, incredible attributes. But at the same time, the human component is we also bring in, in many cases, we bring our struggles with us too. And gone are the days where we can just expect people to show up at work and leave everything that they have at home behind. We absolutely can't do that. And fact of the matter is, I wouldn't want to work for an organization that had that approach in the first place. We have to help people manage through life as human beings and create an environment that will enable them to take their strengths, apply them to a, a purpose-driven mission, and make a difference. Andrew, I'll second what Wendy said as far as allowing us to be part of your conversation. We can't thank you enough. And again, as, as you said, you're First time around didn't demand a second appearance. Uh, this has been an extremely important conversation, and I'm glad that we're having it. I have a feeling that most of the listeners know you or know where you are, but for those that don't, that would like to talk more to you, more with you directly about this topic, what's the best way for them to reach you out there? Well, the the best way to reach me is the certainly contact me via email or on Twitter. Uh, my email address is andrew.morton at sherm.org. I'd absolutely love to collaborate. Again, there's so many people out there who are doing amazing things in this particular field, and I would love to learn more from you all. 
the second way you can reach reach me is is at at Sherm Social, which is uh, my Twitter handle. And I would love to again hear from all you all. And really looking forward to meeting so many people, both old friends and new friends at annual conference coming up in the month of June. Following us there or connecting with me there would even be preferable to any of those online connections. We will have that in the show notes, and we are certainly excited to see you while we're there, too. Wendy, how about you? What's the best way for the listeners to reach you? Best way to reach me is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com, daily, D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, the fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter at 7 p.m. Eastern time for the HR Social Hour Twitter chat. How about you, John? Find me at hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Click on the three lines at the top left-hand side of the screen. You'll get access to all my social accounts. If you're listening to this show, this has, again, been very special for us. The others are all available there as well. Download, rate, review, share, anything that you can do to help us boost the signal on all the conversations that we have, we really appreciate. So again, Andrew, really appreciate you being with us tonight. We'll see you very soon. And so for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect, give back, and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye.